This is Limit Up, a trading podcast presented by the performance coaches at Top Step. We discuss futures, forex, stocks, options, history, trading psychology. Basically, if you can trade it, we'll try our best to make sense of it. Now, on to the show. Good afternoon, traders. Welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step. I'm Jack Pelzer. I used to be a trader. I still am to some extent. Dan Hodgman is with me. A similar backstory. Yep. Yeah. Uh, today, we got a great episode. We're going to be talking about doing your homework, which uh, we're talking about trading homework, right? So we're talking about how to do your research, how research should be applied to your strategies and why this is a good use of your time as opposed to just blindly firing off orders. Mm -hmm. At the end, Dan, do you know what happened 11 years ago today, Tuesday? No. The flash crash. So oh. I was thinking at the end of the episode, as a little like tidbit, we would go back and uh, talk a few minutes about the 2010 flash crash, which was a seminal part of my trading career uh, that I will tell you about at that time. So you'll want to stick around. And I was thinking we could start off before the research by playing a little game of what's on your mind. Um, so I think weekly we would just mention any product stocks levels that we're looking at in this week. So we can just get it, get it off our mind. Kind of like uh, those Demi Lovato songs my wife listens to. They get stuck <laughs> in your head and you got to get them out. So Dan, oh, I hate this pun I'm about to do. So Dan. Sorry, not sorry to put you on the spot right here, but uh, what do you have your eyes on this week? Well, obviously, you can't help but uh, look over at the mi or the micro Bitcoin. You can't yeah. not be looking at that right now. Actually, we've had a big day here today. Yesterday, I think we ended the day around 7,000 contracts traded. Today, we've already traded 19,000 contracts on that. Uh, so, you know, hard not to watch that one. But another one that I've been watching basically all year on the recap to start the year, a uh, group of us or those that follow regularly, we all decide, I proposed two uh, options to buy or sell. One was Bitcoin and one was Airbnb stock. Airbnb stock's been an important stock to me. Over the last six months, we've gone from about a low of $124. We peaked a little over 200 and right now we're trading at 164 bucks. Um, that's a stock that I'm kind of in a little bit. Um, I've been in since kind of IPO. So that's a good stock and a good opportunity there. And uh, it's fun. It's been a lot of fun to watch that one. And then uh, we, on the recap, our prices on that were, got them right here. Uh, so we bought Airbnb $148.30 on January 6th. Simulated. It was just a where settlement was, and we decided we'll take one. Yeah, there. We're, we're not going to try and juice our own portfolios here. And uh, <laughs> and we bought a Bitcoin. So you know, just looking at Bitcoin right now, trade around fifty four thousand dollars. And on January sixth, we simulated about it at, uh, and I just did air quotes. No one can see uh, thirty four thousand five hundred and fifteen bucks. So the recap crew has been making some uh, simulated profits. Those are the best. Second best, I suppose, besides real profits. Mm -hmm. But uh, so uh, before anyone emails us out there too, uh, we know you want to trade the Bitcoin future. Us at Top Step, we want you to be able to trade the Bitcoin future. There's uh, some 
clerical difficulties we're going to have to overcome before doing that. But no, we're working on it. It's something we want to do, uh, but it trades very differently than a lot of things right now. Right. And just so everyone has a, you know, I know we've talked about this in countless different places to trade the standard Bitcoin, you are trading full five full Bitcoin. And I believe margins are extremely high on that. It's a, an extremely volatile product that's not trading more than five or 6,000 contracts in the day. So it's extremely illiquid. It's just not a safe product. The introduction of the micro Bitcoin, like I just mentioned, you know, it is 1215 on Tuesday, day two of the micro, and we're seeing 20,000 contracts come in. So that's going to open it up. And, uh, you know, we're definitely something we're actively working on. I think it is uh, a product that could be very viable for uh, Top Step at some point. Yeah. And hopefully the as things stabilize a little bit at some point, maybe those margins will come down a little bit. But right now, I mean, they're what, like 50% or something that that makes it very hard for us as a company to offer it. Right. And it's again, it's not one Bitcoin, right? So if it's trading $50,000 and it's five Bitcoin. So, you know, that is in dollar values, you're looking at $250,000. So 125,000 in margin, if you're at 50%, it's a it's a hell of a product and a very expensive product. The only people that really have capital and access to be trading this are the hedge funds that probably are using it to hedge their actual Bitcoin. Hedge your Bitcoin position. I would say yeah. there's probably people that own a lot of Bitcoin too that are selling those things. Yep. Cool. Well, what I'm keeping an eye on is a FANG rotation. All right. Amazon, no surprise, blew their earnings out of the water. Stocks 9% off the highs this morning. It could be way back up by the time this gets released Thursday. But the other names are getting drubbed too. Apple, Tesla's not having a good run of it at the moment. Although, I mean, who cares? They were mm -hmm. <laughs> up a bunch. But I just want everyone to be cognizant of the things are expensive out there. Amazon's got a market cap of one point. I just want to get this stat out there. Amazon is a 1.6 trillion market cap company that is trading at 63 times its estimated 2021 earnings. That's that's freaking bonkers, man. Like th there's great trade opportunities in there. I don't have an opinion one way or another. I mean, don't listen to me if I or I'd be done work and I'd be a billionaire owning all the Tesla, Amazon, everything else. Mm -hmm. But it's crazy that you have those sorts of you would think it's a pretty mature company, but apparently Amazon's going to just, you know, take over the world. Well, they've got a lot of things that they're working on, health insurance, you know, the, the list goes on and on. But here's my question for you. Mm -hmm. Talking about the fangs, talking about those big dogs, Microsoft, we just saw Bill Gates announced divorce after 23 years with uh, Melinda. Does Microsoft take a hit because of that? Do you think? Well, I assume I have not looked at Microsoft today. I assume it took a hit today simply because all of tech's getting hammered. Uh, don't shortchange them. It was 27, I'm sure, beautiful years. You know, there's gonna be a lot of breakups after this <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> so yesterday on the close, it was $251. We're down 2% right now at $246. So not a huge hit yet. But if, because there's no prenup, and if there is stock exchanged, that could have a big effect on this. It could. It's an interesting question. We went through this recently with Amazon, and it didn't really matter as far mm -hmm. as the stock price. And that was a more volatile situation. 
it seems that everything's pretty amicable there. I mean, if something comes out and I can't think of something funny off the top of my head that Bill Gates <laughs> would be up to, but say, say he was like horrible at this, like all this stuff comes out. I'm not saying this, by the way. Then there could be some contention, but I'm sure that there's all, even if I'm no divorce lawyer, but I don't think you can also just being that large an institutional owner of it. I'm not sure if there's like rules in their stock that you have to sell, but I have no idea. Right. I have no clue. You know, it's just a very big shakeup from someone that has an astronomical amount of stock in a stock in this that company. caught me by surprise, man. I was surprised by that. Were you surprised? I kind of was. I kind of was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It's such a big name. There's a place they go ski in Montana and they live a couple houses down from my friend's house. And I've seen them every year, you know, always together. And uh, I was kind of taken aback by it yesterday when I got the announcement. And now they're going to work together. Do you think it's a good idea? Would you work with your ex-wife? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't work with an ex-girlfriend of mine. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I, I, think, I think the only prime example of this, I believe, and email me if I'm wrong, people, the White Stripes, Jack and Meg White used to be married. So they were still playing in a band when they were divorced. So I guess if you can make it work, good on you, you know, and their foundation is a great thing. So hopefully that keeps, you know, the philanthropy there. Love them or hate Bill Gates. They got a great thing going with that philanthropy and their foundation. And, you know, for, for the sake of humanity, you hope that they can work it out and keep that moving forward. They certainly do. And um, it kind of segues into our main topic today you know, research. Like if you're buying Microsoft, you might want to know what's uh, going on with that prenup. But that's usually not the kind of research we're talking about in trading. So why is this important? All right. If you're trading without doing the proper due diligence, you're just flying blind and you're really just gambling at that point. And there's no, uh, it's not random that some of the world's greatest traders are also known as people who are compulsive researchers. When you talk about Paul Tudor Jones or uh, Don Wilson in Chicago, I've heard stories from other podcasts and from conversations and stuff of, you know, they're the first one there, trading day ends. They're still sitting around for a couple hours doing research for the next day. Now, not everyone, that doesn't work for everyone, but it is something that is one of the few ways to give yourself an edge. And you're at a major disadvantage if you don't do the proper research because guess what? The people on the other side of the trade, they sure as hell are. So mm -hmm. Dan, your thoughts overall on research and then we'll get a little bit into it. So I'll be the first one to admit I am not a good student uh, when it comes to school. I hated doing homework. I hated anything that had to do with school. When it came to trading, for some reason, I really enjoyed the homework. I enjoyed studying. I enjoyed looking into it. And I think for me, I was very fortunate, and I've said this multiple times, you know, that I've grown up in the industry, and I had a father who owned the prop firm. You know, he was the head guy. He was the head trader from the time he was in his 20s to the day he retired, and he was the first one in the office every single morning. He was always one of the last ones to leave, um, and he'd get home, and he sat there, and he still was doing the homework, still researching, still looking into these things. He was not actively trading the whole time, and for me, you know, my big lesson came about six years ago, I uh, I overslept. 
Normally we were in in the office all on a phone call by 610, 615. We were on on a phone with the statistician that we all worked with to go over levels. And I overslept and I got in at about 645 and bond market opened up at 720. And I came in kind of rushing to make sure I was down on the floor for the open. And they looked at me and said, nope, you're not trading the open. What do you mean? I'm here in time. No, you have to do the research. You have to sit down, get on the phone with Howard. Uh, He was our statistician. He said, get on the phone with Howard, talk to him, hear him out, hear what he's looking at. So you have a better idea of the charting and what the market's going to do and the levels that we're going to look at today. And so I reluctantly said, okay, sat on the phone with them until about 7.30, 7.45. I got down to the floor and I had a great day all Mm -hmm. because I took the time to do it. And I think that's the key here. Even if you're running late, don't rush into it. Take your time. It is so important to get your mind right. Yeah. In-house research really is the best, isn't it? We're going to talk later about the sources we use, but your main, I'll preview that by saying that your main obstacle when finding where to do your research is that if you're relying on public information, there's all sorts of biases that creep into there. Mm -hmm. So the bare minimum you need to know, and you'd be shocked at the number of traders that we we still see a fair amount of traders who are starting out who, who get burned by these things. The minimum, don't place a trade until you understand the product that you're trading. We have a whole episode on this, but just to be clear, what I'm talking about is if you're trading futures, you need to know all the specs of that futures contract, right? Roll date, delivery, what the liquidity is like, the price action, how it moves on various days, what the big numbers are that affect it, right? And then if slightly different, if you're trading FX, which a lot of you are, then you need to know more about the uh, economics and geopolitics, right? You got to be a little uh, get in there reading current affairs or The Economist or whatever else. Absolutely. I think that's such a good point you brought up here, Jack, because most traders that, you know, there are a lot of traders that are listening to us probably are US based. I know we're all over the world, but, you know, if you're wherever you're stationed, wherever you're living, the news that you're getting, whether it's through the internet, it's targeted towards you based off of your, your location. The news you get on the TV, again, targeted to you based off of where you're living. You know, if you're trading something like the Australian dollar against the US dollar, you have to understand what's going on in the United States and what's going on in Australia. And then all you're trading the Australian dollar, you have to pay attention to what's going on in China because China is one of the biggest importers of commodities from Australia. So you have to understand the inner workings of that currency and what's affecting that currency. Let's say China decides to stop importing. I think milk is a huge export or maybe it's New Zealand. Either way, you you have to understand that if China says, hey, we're going to cut back on our our imports from that country, that's going to have an effect on that currency. And so there's a lot of inner workings you really have to pay attention to. Absolutely. And it applies, most people would get this, it applies to stocks and options, obviously, too. You need to know what the insiders are doing, when the earnings are, what are people expecting, what's the implied volatility. You know, One of the things that I think is a common pitfall among people starting is getting burned by basic things that everyone else knows because something looks too good to be true. It often is. A perfect example would be somebody just starting to trade options 
and getting burned by uh, the implied volatility crush following earnings or something like that, right? Why, you know, the, something like the, you hear people be like, oh my God, the, 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 the stock went down, but I lost all this money on my put options I bought. Well, it's like, well, there's more to it than that, man. And it goes, Jack, it goes back to an episode we did early in the year. We kind of started out talking about this idea of fundamental versus technical analysis. You have to, whether you're trading based off them or not, you have to know the fundamentals first, first and foremost. You have to know that if this happens, then this can't happen, right? We have unemployment, such a common thing every single month. We know if it's a good unemployment number, in theory, fundamentally, the stock market should move higher. Now, then you have the fundamental of if it's ex expected and it's already factored in, you may see the sell-off. There's a lot more nuances to it, but you have to kind of know the basics of those fundamentals like you're just talking about there. Volatility takes the hit. You're losing money. Even the market's going in your favor. Those are things you have to know prior to trading that as opposed to just hopping in and saying, you know what? I think I'm going to sell some puts on whatever stock it is and the earnings come out and the volatility takes the hit and you're losing money just because the market's going in your favor. Yes. Well, think about that example we go back to a lot because it was so friggin' weird, but that um, when the oil futures went negative last year, you got to think like a lot of people got burnt because they were, you know, like, oh man, one cent for a thousand barrels of oil. How could I lose? Well, yeah, that, that'd be absolutely, if it could only go to zero, then sure. But you got to think in your mind. You got to use common sense and logic sometimes. Like, if this could not go below zero, like, why would it make sense that I can buy a hundred thousand barrels of oil for a few dollars, right? Or for, for let me think, for one dollar at one cent, right? That'd be a hundred thousand barrels of oil. That logically makes no sense. Like, there's no ten dollar bet. You can't make a ten dollar bet that can only go to zero, but could go to $50 million. And you you have to keep in mind too, if you're getting the buy at one cent, something's off because that means someone's selling it at one cent. Yes. You have to keep that in mind. If people are willing to sell at one cent, but that's the bottom, in theory, they have no more risk. Oh, wait, someone knows something I don't know. And they're pressing this lower. That is so important to know is always the market is a two, it's always two parties trading. So if you think you're getting a deal on something, someone else always has a reason for selling. And say you trade bonds and stuff, there are, there's so much to know about the intricacies of that industry. There's all this mortgage hedging that goes, like if you see the 30 year bonds uh, are, are, are getting crushed in price, so yields are raising. You might think like, wow, this is an incredible level to get in. But no, it's just getting started because it'll trigger a cascade of people that are holding mortgages that need to hedge for, you know, to save their hide. And they'll keep selling. Price keeps on going down. They'll just keep selling more. They will. And you bring up yields too. There are other correlations that, you know, people are looking at so consistently when you're looking at the bonds, right? You're looking at what are stocks doing? Because in theory, transfer of capital, if stocks are going down, you you in theory, the fundamental says money's moving into something a little bit safer, like bonds or gold or silver, something like that. But then all of a sudden, if the yields are going up, stocks are going down, 
Yeah. Bonds are going to probably go down too. And all of a sudden you're sitting there scratching your head going, wait a second. Why is this happening? But they, the one fundamental says this, you have to factor in all of it. Yes. One of my big points that I make to a lot of traders too, when, when you are looking at this, right, with fundamentals, you have to bring in, and kind of going back to an old topic, but it's an important one, you have to bring in a little bit of technical analysis that says, okay, yields are going up, bonds in theory should go down. Well, bonds are going to look for that level. They're going to look for the level that they can approach before the sell-off. So people are trying to move it to a level first, so they may go up in, in the beginning before the sell-off comes and know where those, those levels are to sell. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought we could dive into a couple of the common places people go for it. So one of the common ones, of course, is what I'll, I'll refer to this as mainstream financial media. There's a lot of things I'm missing out here, but that's CNBC, Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal. I know the Wall Street Journal is not free, but like when we're talking about trading something that's 30 bucks a month or whatever, it's basically free. So the pro I have for this category is that, hey, they're free, they're easy. You probably have access to some of them without even you know doing a paywall and stuff. And th they're good resources to keep yourself on top of things. And everyone's looking at them. Yes. I can't tell you a single trading office or pit that did not have CNBC on. They always have it on. You Typically, you have ESPN, CNBC. Those are the two TVs going in every office and in every pit. This plays into the con. So those are the pros. The pros are everybody watches. It's good information. It's a great way to like educate yourself, basically. The con is the reason everyone watches it is because they have the ability to make their own news, which is one thing that I really dislike when I think it's irresponsible to invite a hedge fund person on to essentially pump whatever position they've already put on. And to a larger extent, you have to remember that those networks that I named, maybe not as much the Wall Street Journal, but definitely CNBC, Bloomberg, they are market cheerleaders more than they are neutral arbiters of what's reasonable. They want viewership. They want stocks to go up. They are always pushing a narrative that everything's going to be great. And the key here, too, you got to remember, they are free media. Other than Wall Street Journal, but again, like you said, for all intents and purposes, that's free as well. They're free media. And so they make their money based off of their viewership. How many people can they bring in? So you're going to get the catchiness. You're going to get the, the clickbaity headlines um, that's going to frighten some people. And yeah. if that's all you're watching, you can get hurt. Yeah. On the other side of the coin, we have, I'll discuss these first before we go on to, when we say Bloomberg, by the way, we're talking about like Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg.com. I was going to say one of my, uh, one of my edges was used back at the prop firm. I had a Bloomberg terminal and I loved it. I got so much information from that. We'll get to that. First, you have other under the radar. I, they're not really under the radar. People know what these are, but I'm going to call them like the alt media sources. So that's stuff you see on Twitter, Reddit, YouTube. Uh, blogs like uh, Zero Hedge and stuff like that. And I think the pro of these things is they are they can provide some interesting stuff and sometimes they alert you to things you might want to research more deeply. I would never make a decision just based on them because holy shit, <laughs> do they have agendas. Everyone who's doing one of those has 
it's what makes them entertaining in some way. But like, I, I can tell you what will be on Zero Hedge a week from now. Uh, that's not the sign of a good <laughs> outlet for news, right? Um, I believe that gold should be at $10,000 an ounce and uh, globalization is going to cause hyperinflation. You know, all sorts of, it's the same thing year after year. If you're, the picture for your Twitter page is uh, a picture of Brad Pitt shirtless, um, which Zero Hedge's <laughs> profile picture on Twitter is, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. And that that goes for people that you follow on Twitter or anything else. If you see someone doing something, see what they're about, right? Don't just, if they're saying something about a product, figure out who they are and where their loyalties might lie. And I want to just add in here too, you know, there's nothing wrong with looking at any of these. No, not at all. I do. It's important to just the information you get from them, then go and do your follow-up research, right? And it's just like anything in the news, whether it's, you're watching about your, you're just your local news. When a topic comes up that has you interested, you go and you look into it a little bit. You're curious. You know, if it's something you want to discuss with friends, you're going to look into it. So you have some data points and a little bit of research behind it. You have to do the same with this stuff. You know, if one thing is saying something, you're seeing it different in another place, do a little research, create it, create your own opinion, which is what we want to do with trading. We want to kind of create our own opinions. Yeah. You've got to be, you know, you got to be yourself. Right. You'll never make a ton of money from following the crowd. But I will say kind of the gold standard, if we move into the gold standard for places to do your research, I'm, I'm calling this category sort of academic, historical, paid resources. So that would include uh, on the low end, that would include, let me think. Well, I'll start with the high end. Bloomberg terminals. They're expensive. They're great. Dan, how expensive are they? God, my keyboard was $200 a month. Yeah. And I, I think it, usually your package ends up being more than that because I'm sure it's a tough firm. I has. think you end up paying because it's just a keyboard. That's not access into the actual platform. I think it comes out to close to a, a G ball a month, a solid grand a month. It's, it's not cheap. It's but, not. But listen, the same way we talked earlier about if someone's, if you buy it one cent, it means someone's selling. If someone's selling it for that and people are buying it, it means it's worth it. They do have, especially if you're in bonds and some other things, they have incredible historical. Great historical information. There's also a chat program in it that you can chat with traders that are on it, um, which is something I used to use a lot. Like I, I had some guys that I knew trading down in Texas that we could chat with. It was a great tool to use. Yeah. There's also all sorts of academic resources and papers. If you really want to, or I guess the gold gold standard is if you have in-house research, like a quant, most of you probably don't. That's nothing against I don't, but. I've, uh, I've never had a quant that I've worked with. I thought you said earlier you had a stats guy. We had a statistician that was uh, contracted. So we had a daily phone call with him. And that was it. And he just gave us levels. We had a guy that was great at like, cause we, cause we were all trading treasuries and he was like the in-house quant that would just write a paper for us basically every day of just like what's going on, what to watch for. Um, I'm saying this not because it's feasible probably for you to do it, but it's good to know that they exist. There's also more academic papers, things that go like way into the weeds, man. I had to read this book called The Treasury Bond Basis that was the driest thing you've ever read in your life. It was just, that's the con. So the pro of these things is that they're really great information. 
And it's not information that's always like internalized by the public. The cotton is at best, they're very expensive. And at worst, you need a friggin' degree to understand any of it. And that's it's that's something too. You know, it, if someone's out there and says, I want to go get a Bloomberg terminal right now, well, you might get one, but if you don't have someone that can educate you on how to use it, you're lost because it is extremely confusing. Just a black screen with a bunch of random boxes on it, and you don't know what's happening, and your charting looks kind of weird, and then all of a sudden you get these weird pop-ups, and it it take it took me a while to figure out how to use it. It's like the opposite of a Mac interface, really. It's pretty, <laughs> it it's, it's, it's pretty dry, but it's used by a bunch of you know finance bros and broettes. So it's like a 1997 PC or 1992 PC, you know, where it was like you just had the green writing on a black screen. Yeah, well, maybe you don't have that G ball a month, but hey, man, last category, your charts. That's a great place to do some research. Uh, I wanted to include the quote from the uh, why you should use them from the great philosopher Rashid Wallace. Charts don't lie. <laughs> look, look up ball don't lie if uh, you don't get that reference out there. Are you familiar with that, Dan? Yep, I know that one. I was just going to say, make sure I was going to say, why don't you clarify for everyone out there who Rasheed Wallace is? Rasheed Wallace is a basketball player who uh, got called on a ticky tack foul. And when the guy went to the line, he missed the free throw. And Rasheed yelled out, ball don't lie, and uh, got another technical for that. He was a technical <laughs> foul machine. He was a pro. He was great, man. That was awesome. They don't lie, right? You look at the charts, you can see what you need. There isn't really a con to looking at charts, except that you want to make sure, and we I feel like we say this every episode, but it's because it's important. You got to look at the whole picture. You got to look at multiple time frames, and you got to have the whole story. You can see one thing. You go back to Coach's playbook that we did on Tuesday, aka today. You know, Mick brought it up, made a spectacular point about it. You might see the the bear flag on a five minute chart, but then all of a sudden you look at a 30 minute chart and you're seeing or an hourly and it's actually a beautiful bull flag. So you might see it in one location, but you're not seeing it in the other. Uh, so make sure if you're, when you are using those charts, you're looking at that entire thing. You're seeing everything that everyone else is seeing. Yeah. Your charts are your first and last stop when it comes to research, but if you do it right. So if you apply everything you go, you've learned, you have your hypothesis, go to your chart then Look at what the story is being told there. And using that, that's where you find your, uh, as Hogue would say, areas of importance. It will tell you how long you need to hold this, probably. It'll give you the confidence. That's the most important part. You take your strategy. When you do the research, you will have confidence to hold your trade and execute that strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So that is our bit on research. But before we go, Dan, as I teased earlier, Speaking of like weird chart patterns, I saw 11 years ago today, May 6th, was the flash crash. Were you, you might have been in the Marines at that point. I was not in the Marines. Um, I was down on the floor actually, but I was on the bond side. So it was a good day for us. Uh, volatility spiked. Um, if you're in the options, when volatility spikes, it's when you're making money. True. And uh, so at the time, I was mostly just hedging for, um, I think I had about four guys in the pit that I was hedging for. And I was usually a guy that had a, like a high seat because our bent, our seat was, our desk was about, you know, three and a half, four feet in the air or so. And you knew it was crazy when 
my chair, I stood up and I kicked my chair out and it hit the wall. Uh, well, it hit the wall all day long. I don't think I sat down. Um, we were going insane. Yeah. I mean, the, the Dow dropped. I, I looked, I did some research on it because that's the name of this episode. The Dow dropped 9% in really like a matter of minutes. Uh, Indice futures were getting completely detached from their underlying value. It was a real wake-up call. There was a lot of reform that came out of it. But just for you retail traders out there, I want to give a shout-out. I think he was later charged with a crime for it. But uh, Navinder Singh Sauro was a retail trader in West London, trading out of like just a house or his parents' basement or something, who was later blamed for starting this by uh, spoofing uh, $200 million of E-mini contracts, uh, the S&P, and adding and removing them like 19,000 times during the crash. My fingers would fall off. I mean, obviously, he had some sort of algo. He had a program. So he was he was running an algo. but um, He knew what he was doing. He did know what he was doing, but I agree with some regulators and stuff like that have said that it's kind of BS that, you know, if a guy like that can crash a market, he's not the problem. There's more going on, right? I mean, one trader should not be able to do that. So I think that it, there was a lot more going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, my memory of that is I was, I was dead asleep. I was working night trades at that point, And I just got a call from my partner. We were flipping back and forth in days. And he just told me, uh, Jack, uh, yeah, you don't have to you come might in. Wanna, No, he said, you don't have to come in tonight. Oh. Because they had, they had just gotten everything flat. So they we, just said, go flat. Get we were out. trading options. We were trading bond spreads, right? And they like apparently had a very close call where they were like yelling, like, you know, get flat, get out of it. And then like when we got flat, it would have went bazunga through us like just would have wiped everyone out so everyone was a little gun shy and they didn't want i'd only been trading for like six months and they didn't want a couple of new night guys there overnight trading because they had no idea what was going to happen now right so we just kind of closed the books and started again the next day that's when i was watching at night a lot i was controlling our book and hedging our book usually at night and then I think I got a week off of uh, watching the overnight books and the, the big dogs. They were on the books all night. Yeah. Well, guys, check out the uh, check out the Wikipedia or read a little bit about the flash crash. It was an interesting piece of trading history. And uh, guys, usual. It's almost the weekend. Uh, they're treating PTSD now with MDMA. <laughs> I've heard. So I have uh, heard that. All right. Looks like we got some good weekends to come. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that tickled me so much. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dan, thanks so much for uh, being here as usual to talk. Fun topic. Yeah, super fun topic. So go out there, enjoy the weekend, save your research for uh, next week, but then do it and uh, prosper. Right, guys? <laughs> That's all for now. Namaste and trade well. Limit Up is presented by Top Step and produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading.
past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.